Welcome to another episode of our Conversations on Giants in Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition. I'm Megan, and joining me for this series is the larger-than-life, Casey. Hey, Megan. Hello, Casey. We're back. We're back. This episode is going to focus on arguably the most common giant kin that you'll run into in D&D 5th Edition. The ogre, as well as its classic bastard offspring, the ogrillon. <laughs> <laughs> I kept, I feel like we're going to say orc a few times by accident uh, during this, and I feel like it's going to kill a couple of people inside. You know what I mean? We will try. We will try so hard. I know. We're going to try as best we can to stay on topic and not go off topic because ogres are pretty, you know, famous within pop culture. Before I kind of get into it, kind of wanted to ask you, so... Do you find ogres to be dim-witted, to, to, too dim-witted to tolerate, or, like, so dumb that they're, like, endearing? Uh, I feel like we've dealt with both in D&D, like, worlds. Yes. To be fair. Yeah. Um, I think they have their place, but they, the dim-witted, like, ugh, let's just go, like, kill this thing, or whatever. Let's not bother. <laughs> ugh, it's so annoying. <laughs> I know, right? Well, because I don't yeah. think i down to how the DM plays the dim-wittedness. Mm-hmm. Like, there are some DMs that are okay with playing, like, the cutesy little characters. So I'm just like, well, I didn't know. You know, like, just super <laughs> yeah. sad, super quiet, and like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't mean to. Like, I'm just ignorant and stupid. And, like, yeah. that's endearing and cute. <laughs> Whereas, like, some DMs just don't care. And they're just like, oh, I'm stupid. I'm a hit tree. You know? And then that can just be really annoying. Or, like, when you're trying to sneak around and the ogre decides to run around and be run amok and be stupid. Like, that's annoying as fuck. Yeah. That's not cute and endearing. No. Purposely annoying just to fuck with the players. <laughs> God damn it. It's just the whole par- process of being, like, not even lawful stupid, but chaotic stupid, I think is what yeah. this is referring to. Mm-hmm. I'd um, say so. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking idiots. But I'm excited to talk about them. <laughs> I know. Super excited. Um, honestly, I'm surprised we haven't talked about them more in a couple of our last episodes, but I guess we're going to do, there's going to be a little bit of content on ogres for you folks, so buckle in. All right, but before I kind of like go too far into ogres of the, uh, like deep into D&D 5th edition, let's take a look at how ogres have been repped in folklore as well as just basically in pop culture. Because when we say ogre, I think even those who are not involved in D&D have come across an ogre somewhere in life or in a story or in like a weird pop culture movie that they have watched. Yes. So ogres throughout our history have been like kind of repped in, as I mentioned, fairy tales or even just mythology as a large, disgusting looking creature that kind of have a taste for eating humans more mm-hmm. specifically. Well, so more specifically human children. Yes. Um, in fact, ogres have been found, have been around for so long that much like we do here on the podcast and trying to sort out which mythological creature is repped by which D&D monster History has made it difficult to discern exactly what an ogre in current times would be. Right. It's kind of, it can be portrayed giant, orc, ogre, troll. Like, they kind of all blend together a lot of the time. Yeah, and they all just kind of, like, flow in together. And, like, if you started to describe it, some people, oh, that's an ogre. Mm-hmm. Others would be like, no, that's a troll. Oh, it's a giant. Mm-hmm. So, like, another, like, example would be, like, if you consider even just something as simple as Beauty and the Beast. Some people, in, like, in folklore, would consider the beast to be an ogre because he is mo- of his monstrous being. Oh. Um, or just be considered to be, like, a cursed giant. So it's kind of like everybody has their own, in my mind, interpretation of what an ogre is, where it comes from, and what it looks like. Right? It can be yeah. wrapped anywhere. So mm-hmm. even in our last episode, we were discussing Oni mm-hmm. as one of the giant kin. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. Great episode. Yeah. Um, some would say that Onis are basically ogres due to their scary nature and the fact that they do have demon-like tendencies, including traumatizing children. Yes. Yeah. So it, it also fits the bill. 
Mm -hmm. right? That it is an ogre. So what I'm trying to get at is here, ogres are basically used in folktales and folklore as usually something you tell your child at a bedtime, like a bedtime story, to be afraid to do something specific or to be afraid to act out. Um, so like in pop culture, of course, we have our obvious Shrek, who I said I would mention at least once in this episode, <laughs> uh, the ogre who appears as an emotionally multi-layered being with too many feelings. But humans find him scary as the tales of his barbarianism are told as bedtime stories to the children to stay out of the swamps. Right. So yeah. ogres are used as a old wives' tale to keep kids from acting out, mm-hmm. is kind of how I read them to be. But they're, of course, used in all kinds of fantasy realms, spanning from any video game you can think of on the planet that's fantasy-related, like Elder Scrolls, Final Fantasy, um, all the way to, like, I don't know, uh, World of Warcraft is a big one, mm-hmm. you know? Playable races, the whole like. Even in popular trading card games. Even in other tabletop games that aren't D&D, ogres exist. Right. Right? Um, But so that being said, ogres basically just scream to me generic evil thing that we can kill without feeling bad about it because they're so wildly known that compassion and empathy are actually hard to discern. Right. That's an interesting spin on that. Yeah. Yeah. Because if I think about my my comment is always talk to your kobolds because they're rich in history and they're (laughs) actually pretty neat, cute little beings. Ogres are used in so many different ways. Even in D&D, they're used in so many different ways that, like, it's hard to find compassion for them because they're so common. Yeah, and they're usually acting on, like, like, lots of times as essentially, like, a slave or being told to do whatever, carry this thing, push this thing, break down this door. And, like, that's just their brute meat shields that... As an adventuring party or any target that it's facing, it's going to think, um, like, losing my train of thought. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it's oh, yeah. yeah. Um, like, where it is just a higher pool of hit points versus, like, the littler things that are around it. Yeah. So then you just, ugh, we have to go fight that and, like, put everything into it. Whereas, like, you know, ogres can come in in big troves and it wouldn't really fucking matter because no one cares, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, as, as I mentioned, like, they're very widely known and, of course, are very common to see in D&D. Uh, but they are, to your point, utilized more for their strength and being used as workhorses or laborers or, if you're Dan, your favorite playable race. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I'd ever want to play an, an ogre. But in your party, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I get very, very useful. Um, but, like, what do you have any experience playing playing a game with an ogre in it? Uh, or coming across them? Or does anything stand out to you in your life as a D&D player, as a player, or even as a DM, where an ogre has meant something to your group? We've, we've come across ogres in different scenarios, but I can't say it was notable. Yeah. <laughs> it was just... You're like, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. I, either I killed it. Or it traveled with us for a certain period of time because we needed it, and then it died in battle because we sacrificed it, or... Yeah. Along those lines. Right? Yeah. And I can just hear Adam, well, <laughs> Adam going, uh, you had so-and-so over. His name was Blah. <laughs> what was his last name? You know? <laughs> like, he saved you from that whatever five years ago, and it's like, right. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're, as I mentioned, we're going to deep dive into ogres and other over ogre type kin. So, but before we do that, Casey, what is the wine that we have? The wine! Don't forget the wine. <laughs> of course, of course. Okay, so today 
We have a Californian wine called Gnarly Head. It just seemed appropriate talking about these ugly creatures today. So here we are. Yeah, and ugly they are. Yes. All right, crack that sucker open. Let's do this. Cheers. Well, it's not bad. That's pretty easy to drink. Old Vines in Vendel. Hmm. <laughs> the name of it's my favorite. <laughs> Gnarly Head. It spoke to me today. Yeah. Interesting. I love that for us. <laughs> all right. So now that we have talked a little bit about how versatile and all over the fucking place ogres can be in the myths and legends that built them, let's jump into 5th edition specifically and see kind of where they come from. So in D&D, they are not much further than how are they described in folklore. Uh, they are large, scary, and strong beings that are very limited in the intelligence department, which I feel comes just from a general laziness sometimes, or is shown through general laziness sometimes. They are technically survivalists, but in the worst way, um, where they are raiders, scavengers, and hunters, and kill anything for food. They have furious tempers, which means if they think that you offended them, they are very quick to be mad about it and come at you in the comments. So they will come at you. <laughs> right. They don't like, they don't, they're stupid, but they don't like feeling stupid. I think we talked about this for a few other giant types. Yeah. So I think it might just be like a, a giant trait sometimes, where they just don't like feeling dumb. Yep. That's fair. Yeah, so they are gruesome gluttons as well, which means they eat almost anything. So unlike that of folklore where their appetite can be described as cannibalism, they really do just eat anything in 5th edition. But to be equally frightening, if there are remains of their meal, this is when they will make a loincloth a loincloth from its skin or wear its bones as a necklace. Oh, yeah. So this is where that gruesome grotesqueness comes from and the general just, you know. Yeah. Grossness of them. The standoffishness. <laughs> uh, being someone who collects things from the things that they're dead, it does make them greedy collectors. I call it hoarders, they called it greedy collectors. Uh, but basically, during raids, they collect all kinds of trash and food and do love shiny things. Okay. Yeah. They're legendarily stupid, as we mentioned, which just means that they're easily confused and can have a hard time communicating, since they only know giant and a few words of common here and there. Which could be fun for a DM to roleplay that communication, roleplaying that communication between the ogre and the adventurers, right? And we talked about that a little bit earlier where you're either going to do it really stupidly and be really annoying, or you can do it where it could be endearing, or you can do it where it's frightening, mm-hmm. right? You can really play in any direction from a roleplay standpoint when it comes to how to communicate as an ogre. As mentioned before, they make clothing out of whatever they can find, hence the lung cloth out of skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes them what's called a primitive wanderer. They also sleep in caves or animal dens or even just under trees, literally wherever they can find refuge that is away from the bustling city. So they definitely stay on the outskirts and they're kind of like, um, you know, they wander around in the wild more or less than anything. So they can wander alone, but also they're known to form gangs or gatherings of ogres. Um, The fun thing about ogres is that over the many editions of D&D, they remain relatively unchanged standing very close to the bottom of the giant ordining and being kin to acting as servants to the giants and just continue to be brutish, stupid lugs. And even stat-wise, as you can probably tell, they're considered large giants who are chaotic and evil. And that kind of checks out through all of the editions of D&D. I feel like the stat block is relatively unchanged from what I was looking at, um, just because of how classic and how neutral they are. Right. And as... 
annoying as they can be sometimes when they come out in battle, if you know what they are from the get-go. Yeah. That actually goes to show that they have their place and their purpose. Like, they would be missed if they weren't in the fray of things. Yeah. They stood the test of time, these creatures. Well, I mean, I feel like they stood the test of time not only because in D&D they're so versatile and so neutral, but... I mean, they exist in every fantasy world on the planet. They might just be named something different. Yeah. Um, or referred to as something different. Um, I love listening to arguments on about ogres between people and between different fandoms and what's an ogre and what's an orc and what's a troll. And I'm just like, it's all the same, man. Yeah. Giant kin. Yes. <laughs> the distant cousin. Who cares? Right? <laughs> like, they probably met each other at a family reunion once, so who cares? <laughs> They're friends. Um... All right, well, let's look at their stat block a little bit. So as I mentioned already, that they are considered large giants that are chaotic evil. They're they're not as tall as a classic giant. Obviously, they are giant kin, so they're only 9 to 10 feet tall with a walking stride of 40 feet. 40 feet. Um, so on the shorter side of your giant classics. Mm-hmm. Uh, they excel in strength and constitution, and everything else is basically a dump stat. Uh, for the sake of information, their intelligence is negative 3. Yeah. Yeah. They do have dark vision, which kind of checks out in my mind because they're cave dwellers. Yeah. And a very basic passive perception of eight. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you could probably sneak up on one. <laughs> yeah. And, or skirt by it, and it might not even notice you. Yeah, you really. There. You know, just think that you were a breeze on the wind, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they do wield a great club, but really it's probably just the leg of a table or that they've broken off during their last raid and expedition or something like that. I feel like they usually utilize any kind of, like, improvised weapon they could find. Whatever looks big and scary, they're probably going to pick up and hit you with, you know what I mean? Yeah. But for range, they do also have the ability to throw javelins. So, which I, in my mind, I thought was really funny, but I guess, you know, it's the balance of, like, at least they can hit you from close up, but they could probably throw something at you, too, um, to make sure that they don't let you get away kind of thing, you know? Yeah, and it's an evolution from rocks, I suppose. An evolution from rocks. <laughs> we The kingdom upgraded to rock, from rock throwing to javelin throwing. Yeah. Big difference. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What a twist. What an absolute twist. All right. So that being said, let's look at some common and not so common special ogres that are within 5th edition. So starting with the Tales of the Yawning Portal, which we've referenced quite a bit in Season 1 when talking about giants and how they're being used in your campaign. So again, if you haven't listened to Season 1, feel free to go back. We chat about a lot of the different uh, materials you can have when talking about giants as a whole. But back to Yoder. uh, Back to Yoders. 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 That's a good name. And you know, I like that. Uh, but in the Yawning Portal, we did uh, read a lot about how sometimes the ogre stat block was used to represent giant younglings. Yes, I remember that. So that was a big thing that happened. But within the walls, there's actually a quarter for ogres that is basically used to hold the ogre servants of the area. So as we were saying that the ogres are tend to be used as servants or, you know. Yeah. You know, slaves and stuff. Um, they have like their own space. They have their own space to exist. Okay. Right? Um, and that's kind of where they hang out. Um, but again, within that campaign book, they're being used as workers or fighters. So this ties nicely into their the purpose in most campaigns to just be work lackeys, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in Waterdeep Dungeons of the Mad Mage, we also find that there's a special ogre called the Carrion Ogre. So hard not to say that without wanting to say carrier pigeon. I don't know why, <laughs> but that's just what I'm like enticed to want to say. But anyway, there's, anyways, there is a hideous transmutation of an ogre that is thought to have the head of a carrion crawler, which if you've not seen one for what it looks like, look it up. It's basically an alien head with a large toothy mouth and face tentacles. 
Ew. So now imagine that on the body of an ogre. Okay. Yeah, I gotta look that up. I don't know what it it's is. It's not pleasant. <laughs> uh, it does have a very simple stat block to utilize within the Dungeons of the Mad Mage book, but the TLDR is that its intelligence is now up to plus one. <laughs> However, it cannot speak or understand any language, so good fucking luck. Mm. Along with it being used, as long as that, its face is being, like, its face tentacles can lash out and actually hurt you if you approach it. <laughs> so. I love your hand motions for what that was. I wish we could <laughs> see it. So you wish it was like a visual platform. You see me like doing face tentacles with my hands. Um, but yeah, it's like one of those encounters where if you came across it, it's actually tied down to a table because it was being experimented on. So within the room that you find it, spoilies, uh, it's tied, chained to a table, still alive, like, emaciated and, like, out for blood. So, mm. like, super enraged. And then uh, within the room, you actually see the body of the carrion crawler in the corner and then the head of the ogre in, like, another corner and they're rotting. Ew. Okay. Yeah, so that's a nice visual for you for what yeah. that looks like. But, yeah. That does seem like a very specific scenario to to use this particular creature. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think one of the main things of in uh, Dungeons of the Man Page is that like there are a lot of experiments being done on creatures and mix all, and, and mix and matching and morphing <laughs> them around, right? Uh, imbued with magical powers sometimes too, right? So, like I mean, that thing wouldn't be able to live without some form of magic, you know what I mean? So, anyways, I digress. That one was super interesting to me just because it was kind of like off the cuff and a little bit different and a different way to use an ogre within your campaigns. Yep. Right. Like they're again, they're so neutral and so mundane and seen everywhere. Why not use them to experiment on? Why would a scientist not do that? Yeah, especially using the body. Yeah, it'll be really strong, have a lot of con, and it's dumb anyway. So put something maybe smarter on it. Yeah, on the top. See what happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? All right, but all that being cool. said, Casey, how are you feeling about ogres so far? Maybe I will have a bigger love for them by the time we are done today. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah, they're, I just always see them as, you know, in the phrase of combat, you, as soon as you're on the cusp of getting the upper hand, you hear like a growl or like a roar and then out comes a lumbering ogre or something. And it's more of an annoyance than anything. Yeah, and it's like, oh, oh God, yeah. another thing to deal with today. Yes, but they take a lot of attention and they can beat you down when you think you might have the upper hand for a sec. Yeah. Uh, so I I like them. I do. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Um. I again, I do enjoy them for their versatility and the fact that they can be seen anywhere. They can be in dungeons. They can be in cities. They can well, they're not necessarily in cities because they wouldn't want to. But if they're being told to and given a job, they would be in a city. They yeah. would be. I know we talked about this before with other types of um, giants themselves. As sometimes they can be used as farmers, but. These ones are doing it because they are actually being enslaved and told to do so, in my mind. Not yeah. because they choose to live that way. Yeah. Not for, uh, like, food yeah. or some sort of reward. You do this and, like, I'll give you that. It's more, we're going to throw you into this arena. Yeah. Do your best to stay alive at what we throw at you. But yeah. you're getting nothing out but of it. But you get nothing out of it. Yeah. And, you like, they're just like, okay, cool, but do I get a snack? And like, yeah, sure, you can have a snack. <laughs> and then, like, that's that's it. That's all you yeah. got to do. Right? But um, one of the good plot hooks that I really enjoyed was I, I did really enjoy, and I know you can tell by the way I talked about it, but the 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 um the transmuted version of 
like, you know, the ogre, I mm-hmm. thought would have been a really good plot hook to throw in there. Yeah. Like, maybe you go into a, or maybe you're out in the wild and you come across, like, an ogre, like, encampment or group. And they say, we've been finding our brethren, but their heads are all cut off. Or we find their heads, but not their bodies. Right. Or we're finding their arms or their legs, but not this and this. We don't know what's going on, but, like, they're going missing kind of thing. Yeah, and then you find a, like, mad mage or mad wizard doing... Yeah. Doing crazy things. Crazy stuff in a tower. Yeah. And then yeah, it's like, that's oh. true. And then it's like, oh, well, do we help the ogres? Because it's, it's like, again, it's that, are we a good team or are we a bad team? Or are we just not going to help them because they're ogres and they're mundane? Or do we help them because we care about everything and everyone? Right. Right? It really kind of gives them that decision. Because it doesn't have to be your big, bad, evil guy. It could just be, like, a little side quest quest. Yeah, and then you have to, like, go with your morals as the the person and then as your character. Would your character care? Mm-hmm. And that's how the DM can kind of pull the players apart a little bit. I love the morality <laughs> question. It's what my play, it's what my character would do. Yeah. Like, I'm just gonna, it's, I'm just role-playing, you know? Mm-hmm. Speaking of, when it comes to role-playing an ogre, we've talked about it a little bit, but in general... What would you lean more in towards? Would you want, as a DM, what would you find more fun as when you were playing an ogre? Would you want to be more chaotic, stupid, or would you want to be more endearing? Or how would you roleplay one? What's your preference? I would say if if I'm bringing an ogre in in higher levels or a higher tier of, like, in gameplay, I would probably lean towards the pulling at the heartstrings thing. Yeah. And then, but if it's lower level, just introducing to, like, new players, I would do the Lumbering Brute. Yeah. Yeah. No, Lumbering Brute's kind of classic. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I have one job and one job only, and I'm super good at it. Yeah. But, like, your team requires that job to be well done. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, you have to get across a river, and it has to be built. And be like, (laughs) oh, well, we don't have the strength to cut down trees to put across this river, but, oh, we've come across this ogre that might be strong enough. How do we convince it to help us? Right. right. Yeah. Like just small things like that. Mm-hmm. So I feel, yeah, I feel like they can be utilized as fight fodder as a DM, of course. Like just throw them into any battle and it, there's no one's going to question why there's an ogre there. Yeah. And like if you're, if you're, if your party is annihilating what you put in front of them too fast. Yeah. <laughs> have an just ogre. throw an ogre in there. Yeah. Have fun. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. No, I love it. But yeah, as always, when it comes to these kinds of characters, there are always famous versions of. So, do you have there some famous ones is. to talk about? Yes, there's actually a few. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even way more than what we're going to talk about today, but we're highlighting kind of the, some of the big ones. Uh, so, firstly, in Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, there is one somewhat f- more famous uh, ogre that comes about in the stories. It's uh, Ogre Lord Buffal II. Mm. Uh you will encounter him in Unwelcome Spirits. So if you're following the Wild Mount Adventure or have that book, you will have it in there. Love it. Uh, ogre Lord Befall II is a male ogre that the goblins of Yersin look to for leadership. Yersin sure. is where Befall resides as well. He's lawful evil and is of average intelligence. He's kind of just across the board, even. Um... Player characters are likely to interact with him versus combat with him in that story. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's what's assumed. And then the, the players will decide what actually happens. Maybe they'll see Ogre and be like, ah, let's fight it. 
But this one actually isn't. It has information for you and it can communicate with you. Um, so, yeah, a bit of a spin on an ogre in that story. There you go. Then there's a great Ulf who comes up in uh, Tales from the Yawning Portal. He, You will find him if you're exploring Mount, the Mountain Door is mm-hmm. what it's called. It's a storyline in that book. Uh, so Ogre, again, leader for the orcs of the Mountain Door. He carries a great axe. Uh, the kind of interesting spin for this one is that he has two dire wolves with him. Yeah. Named Vak and Throg. <laughs> uh, so you will not only be fighting an orc pretend or orc. Oh no, I did it for the first time. Yeah, we called it an orc. <laughs> Done. You will. We're shutting it down. <laughs> you will not only be fighting an ogre, you will be fighting two dire wolves. If you come across this area in this storyline. So on that thread, though, I think that goes to say that maybe if you have an ogre in a different scenario, you could have it have pet direwolves just for an extra spin. Pets of any kind, I think. They most do tend to come from the wild. So why not just have a pet animal? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, The next one got me pretty excited. This is uh, Darien. Yeah. This is an ice witch. Great. So, yeah. Go on. She is a half-ogre illusionist. <gasps> so she disguises herself as a beautiful young elven woman with lots of gold jewelry. Mm. And she has a group of bodyguards surrounding her at essentially all times. Love it. I imagine the bodyguards looking, well, also looking very put together, but like the Unsullied in Game of Thrones. Like, they're just... They do what they are told. They don't know pain. They don't know fear. They don't know, like, climate change. They are just, like, there. (laughs) So the interesting twist of this is her bodyguards are actually skeleton warriors that are magically disguised as just strong bodyguards. Mm -hmm. And her gold jewelry is the soul circlets of those warriors. She's... She's evil. <laughs> love that. I love it for us. Um, her She has a really interesting backstory. I'll go into it a little bit because I found it very interesting. Yeah. So Darian was rescued by an elf named Vale. And in an effort to have her accepted, Vale taught her illusion magic to keep her true identity a secret. Sadly, she was never truly accepted by the elves of similar age, but it gave her an obsessive longing to not only belong, but exude and be elf-like. Okay. So, Hence why she makes herself look like an elf all the time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so she's trying to fully deceive. So mannerisms, behaviors, pull off being an elf. Mm. Um, because of her obsessive nature with that, she has a very morbid history. She kidnapped a young elf that she idolized in order to study her and then copy her behaviors. Uh, she would go from torturing and starving this poor young elf to then showering her with gifts. Yeah. So she was so happy to have her and thankful to be learning so much from her here you are like you are my guest and then if kind of like we were talking about the switch where 
if they got frustrated or or angry about something, something they did, something that Make they them said, feel stupid or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then total anger. Like, I'm out. She yeah, says, yeah. Would tie her up and leave her for days, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so this went on for some time until Vale discovered what she was doing and Darian was very obviously exiled for kidnapping the young elf. That's fair. So in her exile, wandering, trying to figure out what she was going to do, she was found by Cryonax, Prince of Ice. So this is an elemental evil mm. that came across her. Yeah. Okay, this is going to make a really good romance novel. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> so Cryonax bolsters her power to enhance it, enhance her illusionist abilities and essentially becomes her mentor. So wow. very interesting storyline, and there's even more to unpack in the book that she is in, which is Mink... <laughs> I knew I was going to stumble on the name of this book. Yeah. Minsk and Boo's Journal of Villainy. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the lesser known Wizards of the Coast books. Yeah. But yes, she's in there. Um, She has a stat block of a large giant, just like we are seeing. Uh, Chaotic evil. And she's a 15th level spellcaster. That's dope. Yeah. And frightening as fuck. Yes. Uh, she has innate spellcasting, multi-attack with a war pick, mm-hmm. which I don't think we have seen anybody use that as a weapon thus far. Yeah. Uh, and she has a reaction called Shield of Cryonax. This is once per day. When she takes damage, she can entomb herself in ice until the end of her next turn. She gains 150 temporary hit points in that time. Wow. So she essentially does incapacitate herself, so she has a speed of zero, and she's vulnerable to fire damage because she's in a block of ice. Yeah. But whatever big damage she takes, she can use this. The temporary hit points take that damage, and then if the next round everybody tries to blast her, the temp hit points is all that, that happens. Yeah. So... It's a pretty cool thing, and I think throwing that into um, a combat scenario is a really cool feature for her. How romantic. Uh, so, yes, I think a thing to remember as a DM wanting to use her is her obsessive nature. So she's not only just obsessive with elves, adventurers as well. Because Vale, who discovered her, was an adventurer mm-hmm. that came across her and took her in. So she tries to be a part of your party and maybe will latch on to one particular person, probably a magic user. Yeah. And then we'll try and be like, hey, come help me with this. I'll pay you, blah, blah, blah. And try and just infiltrate and take over. And if that doesn't work, she might just kidnap you or take one of the group hostage and then you have to go rescue them. So there's a whole bunch to play with this. And like I said, there's even more backstory for her. It's a really cool thing. Interesting. I like her story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And finally, I'll, I want to talk about Maggie Keen Eyes. So cute. I like the name. Yeah. I'm about it. <laughs> so this uh, character comes up in uh, Critical Role Call of the Netherdeep, mm-hmm. which I think is a relatively new book. Yeah. 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 It's one of those ones that I haven't dug deep into, so this will be interesting to hear. Yeah, so they have created three versions of Maggie, a tier one and two and three. Okay. 
So she is an ogre, and so her size is large giant, and she's lawful neutral all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, her AC goes up through the tiers, and her speed is 30 and stays the same the whole way. However, at tier 2 and 3, she has a swim speed of 30 feet. Oh, wow. So I can't necessarily picture, um, like, a gnarly-headed ogre <laughs> as a fawn um, swimming. I just, it doesn't seem like, I feel like they would sink. So I would be curious to see fan art uh, with the descriptions that people can find on um, this ogre. Because she would have to be a little bit more nimble, a little bit more lean to be able to, you know, swim effectively. Yeah, and and smart enough to take the time. What is her? What is her intelligence? I haven't gotten to the stat block yet, but what's her intelligence at? Um, I can tell you. I'm just imagining like them taking the time to learn how to swim. Yes, uh, intelligence is plus two. Perfect. So yeah. yeah, I feel like they would take the time to learn how to swim appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So the CR for uh, Maggie Keeneyes does go up from three to five to eight through the different tiers, which tracks. Yeah. Uh, and she carries a giant maul. Okay. And she has the ability to do hammer toss. So she throws hammers instead of rocks. Yeah. So we're, we're mixing it up wholeheartedly we today. We like that. We like that for her. She gains multi-attack in tier two. And she gains a few other things. In Tier 2, she gains the push ability, which is self-explanatory, I think. (laughs) Uh, She also gains rally ability as a bonus action. So once per day, uh, she can target one creature she can see within 30 feet and bolster it with words of encouragement so the target gains temporary hit points. Um, if it can see or hear Maggie. Okay. So this speaks to a bit more of camaraderie and definitely more intelligence. Yeah. Uh, in tier three, the giant mall changes to a heavy great axe. Dope. So she gets beefy. Yeah. Uh, she gains damage resistances to, and it's um, psychic damage. Wow. So this is granted by Ruidium Armor. Okay. Ruidium, I believe, I will be corrected if I'm wrong, is a unique, um, basically, gem that has come from, uh, like, critical role. Yeah, from the from that world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, it doesn't come, it, it does come with some, some negatives. It's essentially very corrupt. So, any sort of shield or armor or weapons you make out of it are corrupt and will corrupt the... The wearer user? Yes. Yeah, okay, okay. So, it gives you resistance to psychic... Resistance to psychic damage, ability to breathe water, Mm. and a swim speed the same as your walk speed. So, this somewhat explains why she ends up being a bit of a swimmer, I would say. Um, But interestingly... She, it's only noted that she gets this armor in tier three, but she can still swim in tier two. So, hmm. yeah, interesting. Um, what was the swim speed in tier two, though? So was the it same. Same. Yeah, I was wondering I if it that increased. Too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah, I would maybe, just because of that kind of bit of unique storyline around her getting Ruidium armor, yeah. I would maybe have her swim speed less in tier two. Yeah. I would just makeshift that. I think that's a good balance. I think that's fair. Yeah, and so when you are wearing ruidium, you also have to potentially uh, 
do saves. If you fail saves, you will get levels of exhaustion. Ooh. Yeah. So it's pretty rough. Yeah. But yeah, she is really interesting. And the way they have laid it out, they clearly show what benefits um, she gets in the higher tiers and how she gets more difficult. Yeah. So it was kind of an interesting spin on on this ogre yeah. to do that. Yeah, it's really cool. I love that. Yeah. All right, well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to mention all four of the ones you just spoke about. Okay. And then what we're going to do is we're going to determine whether we enjoy the idea of them through utilizing more combat, if you would utilize more of their role play, or if you would use them as a good plot hook in your story. Ooh, okay. So starting with the ogre lord Bafal, do you like yeah. him more for combat, role play, or as a plot hook? Uh, role play. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I would do that one because she, she, he actually has uh, lots of info okay. with him. Another good historical background yeah. kind of thing, a reason for being, like all that kind of stuff. Yes. So yeah. I would encourage my players to try and talk to them. So that's how I would play it. Yeah. So you'd want to role play more yeah. on the talk to me kind of side. That yeah. makes sense. I, I would go combat with this one probably. Yeah. But yeah. fuck you guys. It would You're be not a, listening. Toss it in there to like <laughs> teach your team a lesson. Absolutely. Uh, what about the great Ulf? Great Ulf. Um, combat. Yeah? Yeah, for sure. See, I wanted to do role play because then I would use the dire wolves as a reason to communicate. Oh, yeah. 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 I don't know why you would want to talk to dire wolves, but in my mind, I'm just, I'd fucking love a good dire wolf. Like, who doesn't? <laughs> so in my mind, I'm just like, man, it would be so interesting to talk to this ogre to find out how, why and how they have fucking wolves. That's true. And pets and shit. Right? Yeah. I imagine you trying to get through some sort of, like hall or t- or like tunnels and caves or something and you're trying to break through a, a door and you can hear growling on the other side and maybe there's even a window and you can just see great Ulf sitting say like 30 or 40 feet back in a chair with like his feet up and then there's something like growling and scraping at the door that yeah. you're trying to get through it's like oh great love that love that yeah. for us amazing <laughs> all right what about darian oh plot hook oh 100 plot hook. yeah Right? Yeah. Yeah. So unexpected and probably will take even players a while to understand what the hell it is. Yeah. Like, for one, it will be deceiving. They may even be, she might even get a surprise round Mm -hmm. because maybe she will pretend to help and go with the party for a while and everyone will think that it's an elf. Oh my God. Like, I was going to go plot hook around kind of what we were already talking about, how she would try and mimic someone in your group that she admires. Yes. And it eventually takes that person's place one episode. <gasps> oh, yes. And now that person, so you like, maybe it's a, a session where one of your players can't be at the table that day. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, okay, well, like, cool, I'll, the DM will roleplay that character. Yeah. And roleplay it completely wrong. <laughs> and like, just see what happens, right? I'm like, oh, sorry, made a mistake kind of thing. And then like, you know, like, it actually, like, I would love that kind of to be a plot hook and like a roleplay moment kind yeah. of thing. And then people start, like, getting items are missing out of their pockets, and it's because she's, like, secretly taking them away and hoarding things. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, at night, you (laughs) you see her, like, practicing the magic, because she doesn't actually know how to do the magic, and you get into a battle, and she's like, I don't know how to do these spells. Right. Right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was so good. (laughs) How long it would take your team to find out that they've been replaced. Or just have the, like, even if all your players are there, just have that one off with that player before the game, and be like, hey, like you were going to switch places with this person, play it like you don't know your character. Yeah. Kind of thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, that, that was going to be my big yeah, for that one. Yeah, I like it. Uh, Maggie Keen Eyes. Maggie Keen Eyes uh, 
She could go kind of all three very mm-hmm. easily. I would probably use her in combat because I would love to do to use a giant maul and do a hammer toss. Yeah. I think that would be fun. It sounds like I, the, the combat sounds like it would be fun to utilize her in. Yeah. But I wouldn't mind using her as a good plot hook with some role play to be yeah. like, why is she there? What's happening? Um, like, yeah, are you a part of her story or are they trying to be a part of yours? Like trying to figure that piece out. Yes. Um, and I did, I think I didn't mention that she speaks common and giant, which I perfect. guess tracks because she has a little bit more intelligence. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you could definitely play with that. Yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yes. Oh, man, that was a big one. So many. I know. Well, it's like, uh, so we were saying we were going to talk about ogres, and then we've also got, what are they, ogrelons? Ogrelons. Ogrelons. Ogrelon is what you get when you cross an ogre with a human or hobgoblin or bugbear or orc. It's a half ogre. So it's a half ogre is what yeah. it is. Okay, fantastic. Just the nasty visuals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will note that humans rarely survive the birth of a half ogre. Thank you for that so, information, Casey. Yeah. 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 Ugh. It's rough. Uh, they are are quite large at eight feet tall in terms of just a regular party. I feel like we're just on the cusp of player races, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, Yeah. So they're eight feet tall, generally average of 450 pounds. So a bit, bit hefty. Yeah. They do date back into first edition and are part of the lore in every edition that I looked at. Uh, the monster manual doesn't go into much detail on their mannerisms, but a grillon, a grillon, an ogrillon. Ogrillon lore states that they live in tribes and thrive in combat and only combat. Mm-hmm. Like they can become restless if not at war with something. I need like, to fight. Let's go fight. Yeah. 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 So, barbarian or fighter, I honestly think this could be a playable race. It's, yeah, easily. Yeah. Uh, Dark green hair, skin, and purple eyes, generally. Yeah. So, when you get into some of their stats, they are large giant size, which is going to be the common theme for Ogre. They're chaotic, but they can be any other alignment besides that. Mm -hmm. Um. They have hide armor, so AC of 12. They don't have a lot of hit points, so they are very close to more like player character races. Their hit hit points is 30. Yeah. So somewhat squishy. Uh, I, yeah, I just, I can see these just like half orc, half elf, half ogre could be. Like why not? Played. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, they're just, they're not quite... The, the potential with their stats as Etten's or the Oni, they're just, they're a tier below. Okay. I would definitely say. Yeah. Their speed is 30 feet um, and very average stats with their highest being strength at 17. Okay. They have dark vision of 60 feet. They can speak common and giant. So you'll essentially, again, they'll be recluse. You won't, you'll probably find them in caves or in the dark depths of the forest generally. Like a classic ogre. And they wield a battle axe and javelin. Yep. (laughs) Javelin time. (laughs) Who would have thought? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting that we switched from throwing rocks to throwing javelins with these ones. Yeah. Right? Even though they're more stupid, it's a little more sophisticated for some reason. Yeah, maybe because they... They aren't as beefy, where the rocks will do heavy damage for yeah. being a rock. This gives it a little bit more concerned, um, like, damage yeah. being a javelin instead of a rock. Fair enough. For their size. Yeah. So, interesting. I, yeah, I would, I think they would be easily brought into, say, the tavern-style play role playing it's sitting at the bar having a beer you can go kind of see what it's all about yeah type thing a little bit more immersive in the day-to-day yeah I would say. because since they're half they probably do live in societies and within cities and within towns and that kind of stuff right yeah i think they would like go go to the different stores that they need to go to and, you know, still be recluse, but have a mundane life. Yeah. They aren't just shock horror when people try and like, when when people see or they try and like walk through town. Yeah. Yeah. But it could be your general to your point, like in your tavern, you're either a quest giver or if you want information about what's going on in the town, like they, I feel like they would be open to having conversations more because they're like half and more into the, the civilizations that they're probably immersed in. Um, yeah. And not afraid to talk to adventurers or other people. You know what I mean? I think so. I would hope so. That's kind of how I would play it anyways. But, uh, but yeah, I also think for, like, um, exploration, I would see them in towns. I would see them wandering around. Um, otherwise, I could also see them, like, out in the wild. Like, but, like, be, like, your class. I would almost want to make one into, like, a druid. You know what I mean? I don't know why, but I see them as, like, hippie <laughs> versions of ogres. Um, yeah, that would be cute. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, they're really cool. We covered a lot today. We did. Uh, do you have any other thoughts about, you know, because we talked about ogres, talked about some famous ogres, talked about ogrelons. <laughs> uh, what was your favorite part about today's conversation? Uh, I actually think the the famous dragons. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> Very different episode. But yeah, okay. Here we are. Oh, my God. <clears throat> Uh, I feel like the more notable ogres today could be used in good scenarios. Yeah. I really, really like Darian and the idea of putting her into a really cool side quest or or even a really cool one shot. Yeah. Uh, And she would... Well, there's a whole romance story to play out there. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) there's so much. Yeah. So that was probably my, my favorite part. Yeah, because I think it really it really kind of plays into the fact that DMs, when they put in random piece like NPCs that you communicate with, you could go with something that is a little bit more mundane and normal to be seen because your team might not see them. And it becomes a little bit more exciting when you learn that there's more of a backstory to them. Yeah. Right? So, like, then you find out that, yes, they have a long-lost love that they're trying to find, and for some reason, based on four or five different degrees of separation, it's one player in your character's team's aunt- you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, we're we're getting into that part where there is a bit more relatability yeah. with your actual adventuring party. Yeah, because as we go from like, because when we started talking about giants in the very beginning, it was very much you will probably never interact with these giants except for big, bad, evil guys or for one very specific reason. Yeah. And as we travel down the ordining, mm-hmm. it becomes more common to interact with them, see them, have communication with them, utilize them in labor or in battle and then now we're getting into the kin which 
you know, you will see every day and you might just have an everyday conversation with, but we'll have, because they exist, rich backstory. So why is a DM not build one? Yeah. Right? I agree. Oh. <clears throat> but yeah, so that's all for this giant winter special episode on ogres and ogrelons. <laughs> Stay tuned next week where we explore what happens when you weaponize ogres further mm. in the fifth edition. Boy, can't wait. I know. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this special episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com. And if you'd like to discuss what you've heard here today, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at r slash It's a Mimic. For other episodes on other kinds of monsters, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Now what, Megan? Oh my god, okay, totally <gasps> forgot. I have one more that I want to talk about. Oh shit! Yes. <clears throat> For the encore. <laughs> crab folk. Crab folk! So it sounds weird. <laughs> when I say crab folk, why would we talk about crab folk? So mm-hmm. um, they are a thing in D&D 5th edition, and you can find them in Wardenkindus Fiendish Folio. It is thought that they were created from a magical green sea hag. Oh, boy. That altered the bodies of ogres into crab-like folk to be better servants for her at sea. Oh, wow. So they tend to live in colonies that are isolated and don't cause much of bother as basically they're hunters and gatherers. Now later in the years, basically, right? Okay. Um, but it provoked they um, are right to just become feisty, similar to classic <laughs> ogres, shall we say. So the imagery here is for their creation is just hilarious. <laughs> it's written as though the sea hag brought in a group of ogres to be her servants. But they were so stupid that they would drown themselves because they were too lazy to learn how to swim. Um, so she basically spellcasted to change them and to make them more adaptable to the sea. So basically forced evolution on them. Um, so here's a couple of fun things to know about them. Um, they like shiny things, especially silver. In fact, it's written into their lore that because the sea hag likes shiny silver things, they like shiny silver things. Fair. So they will fight to obtain it. So now, and now that the sea hag is, like, you know, dead and gone years and years later, um, they're now just raiders by trade. But when they were under the power of the sea hag, what would happen is every fall is when they would be sent out on their raids to go and gather, like, pillage, gather riches and things, and then bring it back to the sea hag. So now, even though the sea hag is gone, out of habit, they do this raid every, in the, like, uh, like autumn, August, this fall time like the frame. migration of the crab folk? Yes, but they just go out, they, <laughs> they, they grab riches, and they bring it back to basically a, like, um, a shrine built to her out of driftwood. Okay. Like, so I imagine this stupid, like, stick woman. Yeah. <laughs> driftwood with, stick with woman. Some, like, dead Kelp sea. as hair yeah. or whatever, you <laughs> exactly. know? Exactly. I just think it's hilarious. Oh, but it's also sad. I know. <laughs> So, but if you were to come across one, they are technically large giants and are considered to be true neutral. They have a natural AC of 16 and a 40-foot long stride and a 40-foot swim speed. So, obviously, they can swim. Uh, they do speak both common and giant, so you, you could talk to them if you wanted to. 
basically, which is, and it's a plus for ogre friends. There aren't a lot that do have both languages unless they're special, right? Yeah. But because they're crabs, even though they can breathe both air and water, they must be submerged in water every 24 hours, which is why I believe they have not left the coast. Yeah. So they would stay and just live there forever kind of thing, right? Um, and then if it attacks you, obviously it can do multi-attack with its crab claws. <laughs> Oh, anything. Tentacles, crab claws. I'm getting all of the hand motions today. I know. It's lovely. Tentacles, crab claws. <laughs> but yeah, what is your favorite thing about the crab folk? Okay, well, this is why you really like the transmutation piece at the start of this yeah. episode. Because you were like, wait, but wait. There's more. Essentially <laughs> it. Yeah. But this was done like, okay, yes, it wasn't done with their own like fruition. But like, no. I feel like, you know... It, there's, there was an evolution. There was an evolution. They adapted, and now they're their own little, like, a little kind, you know? Yeah. What a story. And 100% believe is like, ugh. Because <laughs> it's kind of a, ugh, just lumbering idiots, ogres. <laughs> it gets so annoying. Like, they would, like, break everything she creates. She's like, she sends them into battle, and they're tripping over themselves. <laughs> you know? And she's like, what am I doing? What, what, a, what a shitty group of, oh, I can do this better. Yeah, and they fall overboard, and she just watched them sink. Like, it's just like, oh, oh gosh. God. <laughs> Kevin! <laughs> Use your legs, Kevin! <laughs> Shit. <laughs> then you send Kyle in after Kevin, and you lose Kyle. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's just no winning with them. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So fucking frustrating. Uh, but you could hire them. If you have a ship that needs more crew, you could hire them and just, if like, they might go with you as long as you stay on the coast. And have shiny things. <laughs> and have shiny things. Well, because, I mean, if you're, on a, if you're on a pirate campaign, there's no yes. reason to say why you wouldn't, like, randomly land on a beach one day and there's a bunch of crab folk there. And you're like, oh, well, well they notice you have riches on your ship and they're on there. They're like, oh, we'll come with you. And yes. they come with you in all intents and purposes to take your shit later on. Yeah. And then you get raided in the middle of the night on your ship. <laughs> yes. Love it. Like, ah. So good. Uh, that's how you get a... Because um, I know that some DMs struggle with, like, uh, pirate campaigns or water campaigns. Because sometimes it's hard to find at sea random encounters if it's not, like, a, a siren or, yeah, a, like, a whale or sharks. So we did sharks. Sharks are bad. <laughs> but, like, these right. are an interesting one where you bring on a couple of these as, like, lumbering folk to help you out. But really, they're just there to strike at night and take your shiny things and swim away. Totally. They could be a random encounter. You could, and it wouldn't be that you're monitoring the, the waters and see them. You suddenly find them in your hull and they're yeah. like filling, like, I don't know what. They're crab filling, shell. <laughs> they're filling <laughs> they're something. <laughs> trying to just take all of your shiny shit and then you have an encounter like in the hull of your ship with what, one of these. Was it Moana that had the um, the weird crab thing in the water that sang that song? Shiny. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Like, damn somebody, it. Somebody on the internet's like, damn it, Megan. <laughs> it's probably based on this, though. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Haven't even started to drink yet, you know. It's, I feel like the first episode we record is always, like, the mentally slowest one. <laughs> but I'm very excited for episode, the next episode. Yeah. I think all these ones are going to be pretty fun. I, yes. enjoyed, I enjoyed writing them. He is a male ogre that the goblins of a city called Yurzin look for to look for look to for leadership. Let me try that again. Oh my god! You said you didn't need a warm up. <laughs> I think I did. Damn it! So. <laughs> Blessings. 
Oh, there goes the lid. <laughs> Love that press. You don't need to put the lid on. We're going to drink it. Let's be real. Let it aerate. <laughs> yes. All right. Cheers. <laughs>